Well, hello, King's Church, and welcome wherever you are joining us from today. I want to welcome all of our locations that have been getting back together. Uh, hello to everybody in Halifax. Really excited that you have found a location. Uh, Pastor Seth and Josiah said it was awesome last week, praying it is today as well. Everybody on the west side, everybody at the valley uh, tuning in. And then, of course, all of the online family, our extended family, we're so grateful you're joining us today. And then we have so many people as home churches. We have, did you know this, King's Church, we have nearly 1,500 people connected into home church. That is an incredible, incredible, just awesome thing. And if you're not connected, we'd encourage you to jump in. You can go on our website and do that. All right, I don't have a ton of time and I got a lot to get through. I'm going to ask you to lean in and buckle up. I'm going to give you my title and then we're going to jump right in. If you have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter 6. The title of my message today is Get the Hell Out of Here. Uh, maybe a little less uh, harsh title is Love is an Open Door is my backup title. Love is an Open Door. It's amazing we finish each other's sandwiches. That was how, that's what I was going to say. Anyway, if you, if you don't have a little daughter, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Uh, but if you do and you don't know that that's frozen, you're doing dadding wrong. Anyway. All right, Revelation chapter 6. Let's jump in and hopefully I'll explain my title here in just a few minutes. Revelation 6. I'm going to read the whole thing. Are you ready? You ready, Valley? Here we go. It says this, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice, like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hell, Hades, was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they'd maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each was given a white robe. Each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. 
Then the kings of the earth, the princes and generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And from the great day, for the great day of their wrath has come, who can withstand it? And all God's people said, whoa, wow. Like, that's intense stuff. That's, that's, that's a what, what the hell in the most actual sense of the word. That's an intense thing. And, I, and what I want to do as we jump in, as we've joined and, and, and as you joined us over the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Revelation and we've come to the part that quite frankly, most preachers and most churches say, ah, I'm out. Because we don't really want to dive into this because a lot of things can happen. Two primary things happen when we get to Revelation chapter 6. One thing would be wild intimidation, as many of us are feeling right now as I've read that. You're like, that's in the Bible? Wow. And the other thing that happens oftentimes, and maybe you've seen this, is wild speculation. People start to try to make interpretations that maybe aren't there, and they color between lines that they were never supposed to, and they bring wild interpretation and speculation to the table. Neither approach is helpful. And so what I want to do before we start to unpack what this all means, as we turn the pages of the book of Revelation, I want to take a week today. I want to just pause, and I want to do the work to help us understand what's going on in the great grand scheme of things as we look at the great tribulation. I want us to lean in, and if you're, if you're with kids today, I'm going to ask you to fight the good fight. I want you to get your notes out. I want you to lean in. You're going to have to do a little work today because we're going to dive into some doctrine and some theology, but if we don't get this, you're not going to be able to get what comes as we turn the pages of the book of Revelation. If we don't undergird this in the proper understanding, you're just going to miss the whole point. Now, to catch you up really quick, the book of Revelation is all about an unveiling. The premise is that things are not as they currently seem that there's more going on than meets the eye in this world and in the heavenly reality that is intersecting this world. And we found this to be true as we've looked in these pages. And last couple weeks, we looked at Revelation chapter 4 and 5, which gives us a glimpse of ultimate reality. We saw a picture of God on the throne. As it zoomed in, we saw that God revealed himself to John and the first church and subsequently all who would read this letter, not as this conquering, roaring lion to be feared necessarily, but as an all-powerful, all-knowing lamb who was slain. And he sets the record straight that God is on the throne and he is approachable, that his grace has opened a door for all people to come to him and receive life everlasting. And we believe that when John wrote in John chapter 1 that this book was given to us for grace and peace as good news, it really is good news, best seen in Revelation 4 and 5. But when we start to turn the pages, we start to see some things unfold, and we see in chapter 6 what is known as the Great Tribulation begin to unfold. And we find from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 20, some really unbelievable, gnarly things sort of start to take place. And the veil is removed, and John starts to see from the vantage point of heaven some things that are unfolding. And it gives us this kind of full disclosure picture of the world and history and how it has been and will be and how it unfolds. 
And so what I want to do today is I want to answer the question, the tough question. I want to deal with what would become a giant elephant in the room. I want to deal with it up front so we don't rob this book of the grace that it is to us. I want to deal with what do we do with tribulation? What do we do with the reality of the great tribulation and and the continuum that it is? The great tribulation leads to the great day of judgment, which ultimately leads to the reality of hell and and, and where Satan is put to hell and hell becomes this whole reality that we see in the book of Revelation. I want to deal with the topic of tribulation, judgment, and hell. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You will be, you will be. It's going to be good news. But I want you to hang with me as we ask the question, what does Revelation want us to see? That's, when we, that's how we read the book of Revelation. What does Revelation want us to see when it comes to this part of the message? When it comes to the topic of tribulation, both on the macro level, when we're talking about all things in the book of Revelation, or for you, believer, for you as you go through your own trials and tribulations, Revelation helps us approach tribulation with a lot of grace and a lot of hope. And I want you to see that. But we have to deal with the struggle. And the struggle with this doctrine of hell of wrath, of judgment, of tribulation. The struggle is real. Let me just be the first to say, we all have struggled with it. We all have found it confusing to reconcile maybe what seems to us at first glance a a different picture of God, like, like that we see on the one hand, he's this lamb who was slain and he was this loving, benevolent, uh, passionate, merciful, loving God. And then all of a sudden we see this other thing unfold where it's the lamb who's breaking the seals and this tribulation comes. We hear the cry of the earth saying, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And we have, if you're like me, let me just say, if you're like me, you have a hard time reconciling those two pictures. Is God good or is God, is is this judgment? How do we do, how do we bring these two things together? And we have a really hard time reconciling these things. Some of us end up thinking that God is bipolar or moody or that he's got a mean streak or that his eternal castle in the sky has a dungeon called hell. And if you're like me, you really struggle with this. And today, if you'd permit me, and if you'd do some work with me, if you tune out for any point in this message, you're going to lose me. And and I can't help you. You need to lean in. And look, I can entertain you today, or I can equip you today. And I choose to equip you. So you need to lean in and, and and get what I'm about to share with you. Revelation helps us see some things on full display. And what it begins with is it helps us to see the reality of the tribulation. It points out the reality of tribulation and judgment. It's there, it's front and center, and we just got to deal with it. If we're going to turn the page from Revelation 5 to 6, we're going to have to deal with the reality of tribulation, judgment, hell, and all that rolls out with it. It's there, it's in fact, let's just be real, it's the bulk of the book. Chapter 6 through 20 are all the great tribulation it would be inappropriate for us to say, well, John didn't think it was that important. Let's just read the good parts. We're missing the point. The book makes us deal with the reality of tribulation and it calls us away from a few ditches that we can find ourselves in. There are a handful of ways that we can kind of get off into the weeds when it comes to this conversation or this doctrine about tribulation, wrath, judgment, and hell. Here are a few common ones. There's the ditch of distortion where we get it wrong. We don't take it accurately. We don't interpret, the, the right, interpret it the right way. Or maybe we didn't take it seriously. There's the, the ditch of distraction 
action where we come into this section of the book, and I've seen this happen, where we get kind of obsessive with it. We, it, it, it this kind of elusive thing becomes this mystery that we obsess about and try to crack some code of interpretation. That's a ditch. We can come into the ditch of deception. I've seen and I've heard preachers and I've heard pastors and I've read books and commentaries that it would seem as though the agenda of the preacher is to cause fear to elicit a certain reaction in people. I think that's a ditch. I've, see, I've seen the ditch of despair. Let me tell you up front as we dive into this difficult topic that the point of this is not to cause despair. And in fact, let me tell you this, the first Christians in the first century, when they read this, they would have rejoiced, not freaked out. And so I want you to stay with me because the point was never to be despairing. And then, of course, the biggest one, and I think this is the biggest one in our day, is the ditch of dismissal. This can't be a thing. I can't reconcile it with a God of love. I can't believe that a good God would do this or allow this to happen. So it must not be that big a deal. And that's probably the most common reality. Most people in 21st century West actually dismiss the idea of hell altogether. Randy Alcorn, in his book called Heaven, an incredible book I would highly recommend you read, he said this, that for every American who believes he's going to hell, there are 120 who believe they're going to heaven. This optimism stands in stark contrast to Christ's words in Matthew 7, where he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, we're tempted to dismiss something that Jesus said is central. C.S. Lewis said this, that there's no doctrine in which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom and it has the support of reason. And the reason is what we're going to break out today. And he says this, I've met no people, and C.S. Lewis is the best, I've met no people, he said, who fully disbelieved in hell and also had a living and life-giving belief in heaven. They're connected, and we're going to see that today as we unpack this. My point is this, you can't take the scripture seriously and avoid the reality of tribulation, judgment, and hell. You ha- it's in there, and you have to deal with it. The Bible makes this problem unavoidable. We actually have to jump in. And a quick search, you would see that Jesus himself believed in this. Do you believe what Jesus believed? Jesus told parables about it. He talked about the separation of the goat and the sheep, the wheat and the tare. He talked about, he, he told prophetic words in apocalyptic literature. It's not just Revelation that has these images. Read the end of Matthew when Jesus talks about the end. He promised, Jesus, he promised that there would come a day, an unexpected, interrupted day where everybody's going about their business, where the sky cracks open and he returns and that is the end. He said it would happen. So we have to deal with it. So what do we do with tribulation? What do we do with this doctrine of hell and judgment? How do we deal with it? Now stay with me. I have good news, but you need to stay with me. Revelation is good news. Don't lose sight of that. Revelation was given so that we'd have grace and peace. So hang in there. What does the Bible tell us about tribulation, judgment, and hell? What does it tell us about it? There's a few things that it makes it quite clear. One, it's real. It's a reality. It's in there. If you take the scripture seriously, you have to take this doctrine seriously. The other thing is, it's terrible. 
Uh, I've heard it said a lot of the times, and, and, and frankly, these Bible teachers are right. They'll say things like, when Jesus spoke about hell, he was using imagery. He absolutely was. And I've already laid out the case that a lot of the stuff that we read in the book of Revelation is prophetic imagery. It's not to be taken literally. It's to be, to be taken literarily. But it would be a mistake to not take the, the imagery seriously. When Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's a bad thing. It sounds really terrible. He's painting a picture that tells us that the, the judgment day is a terrible thing, that the tribulation is a terrible thing, that hell is a terrible place. These are not good realities, and the Bible makes that very clear. It also tells us that it's unavoidable in our own efforts, that you and I, the Bible says, have fallen short of the glory of God, that you cannot earn enough money, get enough accolades, get enough glory on this earth. You can't do enough good deeds to get yourself to heaven. We have fallen infinitely short. We are subject to the judgment. That left to ourselves on the day of judgment, we will not pass that judgment. We will not pass that test left to ourselves. It also tells us that it's not just a problem for us, but the problem is actually in us. That the, the reason that judgment day, the reason that tribulation comes, the reason for hell is because of the presence and the reality of sin that is inside of us. Sin is not something you do. Sin is a disease you have. Sin is something in, broken inside the human heart. And the Bible tells us that it's broken in all of us. That's what the Ten Commandments were given. It's a diagnostic. Every one of us knows, yeah, I failed. It also tells us that hell is eternal. That in fact, after the judgment, as, as the scripture tells us that we see, we see kind of hell unfold, that in fact, Jesus at one point told us in a parable, he said that basically the point of the parable was to show us that the, the dysfunction that we carry in this life, if we don't let Jesus deal with it, it carries on throughout eternity. That hell, in a sense, is the eternal trajectory of the sinful heart. That's what it is. C.S. Lewis, he said it so brilliantly, this might help paint the picture of what hell is, Christianity asserts that we are going to go on forever. We believe that. It's about eternal life. This isn't the only life. Revelation tells us that. And that must either be true or false. Now, there are a good many things that wouldn't be worth bothering about if I was only going to live 80 years or so. Facts. But I had better bother about it if I'm going to go on living forever. These things all of a sudden matter. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are getting worse so gradually that in the increase of my lifetime will not be very noticeable. But it might be absolute in hell in a million years. It might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for it. Hell begins with a grumbling mood. Always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it's nipped in the bud. I love how C.S. Lewis could talk about something so epic and still sound like a gentleman. Unless it's nipped in the bud. What's he saying? He's saying the problem exists inside of us, that if it's not dealt with, it will carry on throughout eternity, forever and ever and ever. This is the picture that Jesus paints. Read the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus in Matthew 16. You'll see this picture. The reality is, Revelation is pointing us to the fact 
that tribulation happens as the final and swift action of God dealing with sin, death, and Satan. That's what the tribulation is all about. In fact, let me give you a quick crash course on doctrine of salvation. Here's what you need to know. Jesus died to set you free from the penalty of sin. Can I get an amen? He he died to set us free from the penalty of sin. We have no more debt. God has paid our debt. We stand in him righteous. But he gave us the Holy Spirit to set us free from the power of sin. Just because Jesus has forgiven you doesn't mean you've been set free from the effects of sin in and around us, amen? Like, it's, it's, it's reality. That's how grace kind of continues to do its work in us. So Jesus died to set us free from the penalty of sin. The Spirit came to give us power from sin. And then Revelation tells us that tribulation, judgment, and hell sets us free from the presence of sin. It is the moment and the process by which God removes sin from the world. That is what tribulation, judgment, wrath, and hell are all about. It is about God getting rid of sin. The the book of Revelation actually wants us to see the utility of the tribulation. That there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to this process. That that God is actually achieving something with this reality of tribulation. That he's not just doing this. Revelation 6 through 20 is not God getting his anger out. It's not God flexing on us to show us who's boss. There is a purpose. And the purpose is the removal of sin, death, and Satan. That is the purpose of it. It all has a purpose. In fact, if we go back and you looked at Revelation 4, before John, before he sees all the things take place, he said, come with me. Jesus said to him, come with me. I want to show you something before these things must take place. He said these things must take place. That they're actually happening for the purpose, get this, of freedom from sin and death. Freedom from Satan. That's the point of the book of, of the tribulation that we see in Revelation. So listen, when the first Christians got this, they would have rejoiced. They would have said, finally, God is going to deal ultimately with that liar, the devil. He's going to deal with that problem of sin. He's going to ball it all up and put it all away and get it out of our experience and get out of creation. He's going to get the hell out of here forever. They would have said, this is incredible. Rejoice. They would have said, you know what, they had a saying. They had a saying, Maranatha. They actually wanted Jesus to come back. They actually longed for the moment that Jesus would return and begin this process. Why? Because they saw the end. The end meant that there's going to be judgment. There's going to be restoration. Not just restitution, restoration. That the end is, meaning, the end is going to be about life. It absolutely has to happen. You know, we ask the wrong question about God. Sometimes we ask the question, how could a loving God do this? How could a loving God bring justice and judgment? How could he bring wrath and tribulation? Actually, the the real question is, how couldn't he? How couldn't he? How could he just continue to watch as sin ravages and ransacks his creation and his people that he loves? N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, he said it like this. Judgment is necessary. Unless we conclude absurdly that nothing much is wrong, which none of us would say that, would we? Look at the world we live in. Or blasphemy, blasphemously that God doesn't really mind very much. God is utterly committed to set the world right in the end. Can I get an amen? 
This doctrine, like that of the resurrection itself, is held firmly in place by the belief in God as creator on the one side and in his goodness on the other side. This is not about God being mean or mad. This is about God's goodness looking to clean up and fix everything. And that setting right must necessarily involve the elimination of all that distorts God's good and lovely creation, and in particular, of all that defaces his image-bearing human creatures. There's a purpose to this. There's a utility to this. He's doing it for a reason. There is coming a day where God will say, okay, no more, not here. We're done. That, if you're going to do that, it's happening here. If that's going to be, that, if that's a thing, it's going to happen here. No more, not in my creation. That's the point of the book of Revelation. Here's how I would say it. Here's how I would sum up the tribulation. Revelation says that the tribulation is about Jesus, the lamb, ultimately and fully revealing and removing sin, Satan, and death from the universe. Hallelujah. That's what it's really getting at. And then, so don't get lost. Like we, we start to read Revelation 6 and we get sticker shocked. Like, ah! No, this is really what's going on here. We saw the lamb. And, and there's a reason why Jesus showed himself as the lamb before these things unfolded. Because that's the basis. That's the thing by which we understand God. The tribulation is about Jesus the lamb ultimately and fully revealing and removing sin, Satan, and death from the universe. That is what's going on. That's why it's good news. We would never call a doctor who refused to call a sickness something other than sickness. Oh, your cancer's not a big deal. We'd never say that's a good doctor, would we? We'd want him to diagnose it and treat it. We would never say that a good epidemiologist, let's talk about something that's really close to home right now. We would never say a good epidemiologist would say, you know what, it's not a big deal. A pandemic's not a big deal. Let's not worry about containment. Let's not worry about tracing this thing. Let's not worry about getting rid of this. We'd say, no, you need to trace that thing. You need to quarantine it. You need to put it in a bubble and get rid of it. That's what God is doing. That's what the tribulation is doing. He is tracing and tracking and hunting down sin and everything that distorts and degrades his perfect creation. And he is putting it to rights. He's containing that virus. He's quarantining it. He's putting it in a bubble and he's saying, get out of here. Get the hell out of here. That's what he's doing. He's getting hell, Satan, sin, sickness, disease. He's getting, all, getting it all gone. The revelation wants us to see it's about the eradication the eradication of sin, Satan, and death. This was a book of hope. It was a book. All of these things unfolding are necessary processes where God is absolutely flushing out the sinfulness in this world and in this universe. And he's bringing about a new creation. That's what's going on here. It's about no more sin, no more Satan, no more hell gone. That's what the book, do you ever read the end of the book? Again, this is not, the tribulation isn't all that happens. Go, let's fast forward to the very end, Revelation 21. Do you want to see the end of the story? It's really good. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, look, there's that word again. See, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. Imagine, look, envision it. 
And he will dwell with them, reconciliation. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's gone. Hallelujah. No illness. No suffering. No aging. No bruises. No hearing loss. No loss of sight. No locks, no prisons, no chains, no chemotherapy, no heart monitors, no walkers, no canes, no injustice, no racism, no gangs, no crime, no wars, no famine, no sickness, no death, no devils, no demons, no spiritual bondage. It's just freedom and life and joy forever. That's what this book's talking about. That's some good news. Like, can you imagine this world? That's what the book wants you to do. In fact, if you are attuned with the grace of God and you really believe that greater is he and you really believe that what's, what we stand to gain is so much more great than anything we could go through, if you really believe that, you'll read Revelation 6 through 20 with bated breath, like, bring it, Lord. Let it out. Let it go. Flush it out. Get rid of it. Have you ever been sick and there was a cure? You don't want the doctor to hold back, do you? Say, right here, get it, get it, right? Like you say, go, go after it. And that's what God is doing. Revelation says that Jesus is coming. As sure as he's risen, he's coming. And he will eradicate all sin. He will start heavenly restoration. And this is cause for joy and hope. You know, we the church, we need to long for this. Like this should make you excited. This should make you long for that day. If you have that thought, and I've had this thought, so, so I'm not, no judgment. I've had this thought. I'm like, you know, Jesus, I want you to come back, but do it someday later. I'm kind of liking my life. You have not taken seriously what this picture paints. That it is so incredible, the vision. No mourning, no crying. The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no mind has even imagined what he has in store for us. Like you think about in a fallen world, the greatest joys that we could experience. Imagine in a perfect world. Imagine what God is cooking up for us. We need to long for this. And here's, here's the thing, church, and I want to press this on us. The church isn't just supposed to long for this day. We're supposed to live for this day. To be agents who are working toward the reconciliation and restoration of all things. If you read this, that the end game is the destruction and evacuation of the church... Which haven't we heard that in the book of Revelation? God's going to rapture us and we're all going to go away and sail off into the universe happily ever after and leave it all behind. You'll be left behind. That's not in here. Read the book of Revelation and find the rapture. Find it. It's not there. Now, there's all kinds of things we could talk about, about God sheltering his people through tribulation. I believe the grace of God is good in every season. But the point of the revelation is not God extracting people from earth. It's God invading earth with heaven. That's the point of the book of Revelation. And we need to be, and, that, and that's why the church, I think, has lost its mojo, honestly, in the, in, in the West. If you believe that God's just going to destroy everything, then who really cares? Who really cares about this earth? Who really cares about St. John or Halifax or my community? It doesn't really matter. God's just going to... But if we believe Jesus is coming back for a pure and spotless bride, if we believe that he's, he's going to return and there's a day where, you know what, you're in or you're out, like then these things really matter all of a sudden. 
See, how you believe the end is going to frame how you live your life. What do you believe about it? We need to live for this. Two main responses this should get in you. Anticipation and activation. This should make you anticipate and long for the day Jesus returns. And it should get you active, sharing your faith with people, calling people to the Lamb, being an agent of reconciliation, being an agent of restoration on the earth. That's what this should elicit in you. The Revelation does that. You know what else the Revelation tells us about tribulation? It tells us that it's temporary. And let me speak this not just to the revelation that unfolds in, it's the tribulation that unfolds in 6 through 20. Let me speak of your tribulation you're going through. It's temporary. It's not going to last forever. And if you'll allow God, there's a process. There's something he'll do with it if you'll trust him. These trials we go through in life are temporary. Uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter went back to school, and uh, she's in middle school this year. How many of y'all know middle school can be hard for, for kids? I, it was hard for, hard for me, and I remember middle school. It's just a tough time. And so my daughter, she's in her class, and she didn't know anybody this year. All of her friends were in another class, and she's, they're in these bubbles, right? And they can't, like, commingle at all. You're stuck with your class, and if you don't like your class, too bad. And so she was struggling for the first few days, and I went on a walk with her because she was really upset one of the days. And I went on a walk, and one of the problems of having a preacher for a dad is you're going to get sermons. You just are. So, so I, I gave her a five-point sermon. I said, honey, here's what you need to know. Number one, make, make note of this. Number one, God loves you, and what he says about you matters more than anything in the world. I said, number two, your parents love you, and your family loves you, and it doesn't matter. That matters more than anybody else in the world. Number three, number three is this, that in school, it's going to be a tough time, and here's what you need to know. Boys, especially middle school boys, are insecure, and it makes them stupid. Number four, <laughs> here's what you need to know. Girls, especially middle school girls, are insecure, and it makes them stupid too. And also, sometimes they can be mean. It just can happen. Number five, here's what you need to know above it all. It's not going to last. It's going to be here and gone. So, honey, I hardly even remember. I hardly even remember middle school. I remember some hard days, but it's here and then it's gone. These things don't last. So if it's hard, endure it. If it's good, love it. But realize, hold this thing with an open hand because this is going somewhere. And that's the reality with tribulation. If you're going through tribulation right now, it's not going to last. God's going to bring you through this. He's going to bring you, if you trust him, from glory to ever-increasing glory. He's going to leverage it and use it for a process, maybe to eradicate sin in you. Maybe to get rid of some things, to help you learn to trust him some more. You need to remind yourself that this is temporary. And the, and the book of Revelation tells us that this happens for a season, and then it's over. And so for us as Christians, we need to rejoice in that. And then we need to realize something, that, that for the duration of it, God is actually working on repentance for the lost. That the book of Revelation, the tribulation, speaks about God's desire that people would come back to him. And I'll speak on this more in just a minute, but you need to realize that, that God's desire is for all people to come to him. Remember the vision of a lamb on the throne with an open door. The tribulation unfolds and we see waves upon waves of trials and waves of repentance. People realizing, I must return to God. I must come back. And, and the Bible tells us actually that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some of you understand slowness, some of you think that it's taking too long. But Jesus, is, God is being patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's what's happening during the continuation of the tribulation. 
is God desires to bring all people. And that's what you're going to see as we unpack this in the coming weeks. You're going to see God's desire to call all people back to himself. And one of the things that happens as he's letting these seals go, we're going to see is he's just letting the full brunt of sin and letting the full brunt of destruction hit people to maybe get them to snap out of it and come back to him. That's ultimately what's going on. Revelation reveals Christ and then it reveals sin where God removes sin and calls people to life. That's what's going on. This whole book is an invitation. It's an invitation to come live. It's an invitation to come to the Lamb and live the whole thing. You know, it's possible for us to read Revelation 6. I'm almost done. And read 7 and 8. And there's a couple interludes where you kind of can take a breath, but it's pretty intense, honestly, no, full disclosure. But I'll tell you what, it has a lot to say to us, and I'm excited to get into some of this. But it's possible to read these things and start to think, you know what, like, is this the same Jesus? Is this the same Jesus? And But here's the, here's the thing you need to realize, and here's what Revelation wants you to see, and this is why it started here, and this is why it ends here. It wants you to see the invitation of the Lamb. That the door to life, the door to grace is still open. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that when tribulations happen, that God didn't get mad at you and change his disposition. And in fact, when we follow it to its end and we see that God throws the, the, the devil, the dragon, it says, he throws him into hell and we see that there, there will be people. And let me just say that. This tells us there will be people who choose, in the end, destruction. It actually tells us that. It tells us that the Lamb is on the throne, that the door is open, and it has always been open. And it remains open. I want you to see something. Remember, it says in Revelation chapter 4, John says, There before me I saw an open door, and he saw the Lamb. And then he looks from that vantage point through the open door, and he starts to see tribulation unfold. And then we find this picture in the end. So we read Revelation chapter 21. Let's read some more of it. He's describing the end. And look, look what it says. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's an incredible thought. We'll preach on that someday four years from now when we get to chapter 21. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it its light. Wow. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And this, this is what I was reminded of this week when I was meditating on this. Look at this. Look what this says. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. That's all gone. God got the hell out of here. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the ones who belong to the Lamb. But what, what stuck out to me, what the Lord reminded me this week, and uh, it's funny how wrong I, I've had the book of Revelation. But the Lord reminded me this week that on no day will the gates be shut. At no point does God close the door. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. Remember the vision in chapter 5. I saw a lamb slain. 
John is trying to get you to remember that Jesus is the one who's laid his life down. What was happening on the cross? Do you remember? He bore the wrath of God. So why? So we wouldn't have to. See, sometimes we think of the doctrine of hell as this like cosmic pistol that God puts up to the head of humanity and says, love me or else. That's not what it is. That's not what hell is. The book of Revelation tells us that from the cross to eternity, the invitation is open. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me and live. Come to me and find grace. Come to me and find restoration. Come to me and find peace. Come to me and find new life. I'll never close the door. The door to heaven is open. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? It actually tells us that, that the earth shook, kind of an apocalyptic picture. And the, 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 the curtain in the temple, the veil, tore open. There's no separation. The door between heaven and earth is open. That's the lamb. That was the work of the lamb. That's what he did on the cross. So what is hell? So what is hell? I think, let's look at what C.S. Lewis has to say one more time because I think he said it the best. And this, this is so shaped how I've been able to understand the reality of hell in the light of the love of Jesus. Look, look at this. Look what he says. He says in the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell, people who reject Revelation 6 through 20, people who push away the idea of tribulation and wrath and judgment and justice, says in the end, those who object, it's in, it is itself a question. He's saying, I would like to ask them a question if you object. What are you asking God to do? Are you asking him to wipe out their past sins? and at all costs to give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help. But he's done that. He did that on Calvary. That's what the cross is. The cross is Jesus taking on hell on himself so you and I wouldn't have to. Is he, are you asking him? Are you asking him to forgive them? They will not be forgiven. Are you asking God to leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that's what he does. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. The picture of Revelation, the main picture, we already read it, chapter 5. Then I saw on the throne a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He already took on hell for us. The rest is invitation. And it's him revealing the depths of sin honestly in us. This isn't just a someday reality. As we get looking at these writers of the apocalypse and we look at some of these things, it has a lot to say about the world we live in. And God, the Lamb, Jesus the Lamb, wants to use this to reveal some stuff inside of us. You know what? I think one of the reasons why we get Revelation so wrong, well, one is because it's hard to understand legitimately. 
But another reason is, it's a lot easier to believe that God's going to get us out of here than to get hell out of us. There's work to do. The lamb is still working on us. There's still things that we're clinging to where Jesus says, that's destructive, give it to me. Lay it down. The invitation of the book of Revelation is see the lamb, see the open door, long for the day of his return where he will set things fully and finally to right, work towards restoration, and trust him in the trial. That's what this book has to say to us. So in the coming weeks, we're going to unpack some of this and see what it has to say to us. But you need to, you need to not let tribulation redefine your vision of the Lamb. It starts with a loving, benevolent, gracious, life-giving God, and it ends, Revelation 21, 22, with the restoration of all things, where you see the coming together of the bride and the groom, heaven and earth forever and ever and ever. That's the good news. Here's a couple questions for us, and I'll pray. Question number one. Have you invited Jesus to reveal and remove the hell in you? That's the first, that's where this starts. It's not just looking at other people, looking at the world, saying, God, God, reveal sin in me and by your power, flush it out. Get rid of it. Help me. Bring me to life. Make me more like you. Let me see the version of me that lives forever with you where there is no uh, lack of integrity or, or inconsistency inside of me. Would you do that now? Number two, what does it look like to partner with Jesus in seeing the eradication of hell in our region? That's a whole conversation, isn't it? That's the job of the church, y'all. That's the job of the church. We're partnering with Jesus to see the eradication of hell in St. John, to see the eradication of hell in Halifax and in Charlottetown. For our part, on our neighborhood, on our streets, we want to see hell out of here. Can I get an amen? Number three, is your faith in the Lamb greater than your fear of the tribulations that you're facing? That's the big question. That's the reason a lot of us close the book at chapter 6. Because we start, to, we start to get a sight of these riders of the apocalypse and seven bowls and seven trumpets and all the crazy things and we lose sight of the main thing and that is the lamb whose love is greater. See, if your vision of the lamb is big enough, then all these things are just like, we just say, bring it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. Bring it. Come. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in me. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in my family. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in St. John. Come. That becomes the cry of your heart. If you start to see Jesus for who he is, you start to cry out, come. You're not afraid of that day because you know the lamb. You know who he is. You know what he's like. He's the one who took your place. He's the one who died your death. He's the one who bore your shame. What fear do we have when we know who holds our future? Is your faith in the Lamb greater than your fear of the tribulations you're facing? Some of you are in tribulations right now. I suggest you look again at the Lamb. 
Stop looking at your problems and start looking at the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, thank you for hope. Thank you for paying the price to get hell, to get Satan, to get sin, to get sickness, to get death, disease, to get all of it. Thank you for taking that upon yourself so that we could come and live with you forever, holy and whole and healthy, free of sin and fear. We thank you. We thank you that there's a lamb on the throne. We thank you that the door is open. We thank you that you're inviting all people to come and receive life everlasting. God, help us be agents of that message. Help us live in anticipation and in activation, looking forward to the day and working toward heaven on earth. Help us not have an evacuation mindset, but help us be ones who actually prepare the way for the Lord, who carve out a path, who cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It says in Revelation, Lord, that the spirit and the bride say, come. So we say, come. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray for each one in times of tribulation right now, people going through cancer, people going through sickness, people going through divorce, people going through depression, people with lost children, all the tribulations, Lord, I pray right now by your spirit, for a fresh revelation of the Lamb who is greater than anything that could come against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have triumphed. We thank you you've taken the penalty of sin. We thank you that you're dealing with the power of sin. And we thank you, Lord, that there's coming a day where you eradicate the presence of sin. And we look forward to that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.